the Askell Primary Leaders Podcast with Tiff Harris. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the next edition of one of our primary podcasts. Thank you. If you've listened to all of our other podcasts, I know that they're not just being listened to by primary leaders. They're being listened to a lot by all leaders of Avascal and beyond. So today I am really delighted to introduce Rob Carpenter. Rob Carpenter is CEO of Inspire Partnership Academy Trust in London. And before I hand over to Rob, I just want to say that I've known Rob for a long time now, and it's an absolute honor to pin him down in this webinar and really talk to him about his role, his background, and what makes him tick. So the first question to you, Rob, is can you tell us about your context, what you're doing right now, a bit of a career, I mean, it's like an interview question, isn't it? your career to date, and and, and your background and, and how you've how you've arrived at this at this role, what you're doing right now. Thanks, Tiff, and thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here with you all. Um, so I'm the trust leader of the Inspire Partnership, and, and we're a trust of nine schools in Croydon, Medway, and Greenwich. And I suppose the journey to us getting there was that from a, an early stage of my career, I, I suppose I, I naturally fell into the role of wanting to collaborate with other people. Mm. I've always believed that we are safer when we hike in teams. And I believe firmly in the power of leaning on one another. And uh, and a lot of that thinking is reinforced by um, some of the books I've read, particularly Rutger Bregman's book, uh, Humankind, which confirms to me that we are intrinsically a social species and we are hardwired to want to work together. So I, I, I love the bit of my job, which is about collaborating, sharing, networking, um, spreading practice, what I call grassroots or bottom up, um, because I think that's so important and it also builds capacity. Um, and also, I suppose to say it's important, I've been a teacher since 1995 and a head teacher since 2003. So I'm now looking back at my career, seeing uh, the other side of the hill. Um, I, I, I found it quite fascinating watching myself become less and less ambitious for myself um, the, the further I get into my sort of late 40s, early 50s. And I think that's important, too, because I think that brings uh, another perspective. Um, the schools that, that we work with have all either been special measures or serve very disadvantaged communities or have been struggling to, to, to one degree and another. And I suppose that that's a fair reflection of my kind of I've got a, a, a very um, strong be liked driver. I want to help people. I enjoy um, servant leadership, as sometimes it gets called. The idea of helping people is something that attracts me. So when somebody says, Rob, can you do this or that? Or, or we've got a school that needs a bit of help. Can you offer some? I, 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 I always think that's a privilege to be asked. Mm. And it's something that I always want to be able to do well. I, and I think that it makes the work that we do very tangible uh, and, and very real. And I love seeing the benefits of that. Um, the other thing, to, just to sort of top and tail that that first question, um, like many great leaders, and, and and like many people whose stories I've I've been fortunate to have, to have heard of why do they do what they do, how do they get to where they get to, etc. I think a lot of people that um, that have risen to success in their roles have come from places where they weren't always successful. And so for me, 
my own education wasn't particularly a great success story. Um, I, I, I'd include in that the fact that my mum and dad split when I was very early, uh, about five or six years old, very young rather. Um, I moved, I think it was to, between nine different schools um, between the ages of uh, four and eight um, as, as we were moved to different places. Uh, and I grew up finding not just education, but life in general fairly tough. Um, like many people, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, single, single parent uh, family household. But what I learned from that was how education can make a difference. I, I learned from that how relationships, despite what you might be going through in your personal circumstances, can make the difference. I, I, I always knew which teachers were interested in me, which adults in schools wanted me to do well or not. And I think we sometimes forget how sensitive and, and in tune with the world young people can be. And I've never forgotten that feeling. I've still got memories and, and emotions that take me back to being in a classroom in a primary school where a, a teacher or another adult may have said one thing or another to me and either confirmed what I thought about myself or it, it lifted me up uh, a little bit more. And, and so I wanted to be a teacher from a very early age because I wanted to capture that feeling of being in a classroom and understanding what it's like to be a child in a classroom and make a difference for children. Right. And I always I always believe that um, we as adults, and I, it was Sir John Jones that said this, whether you think a child can or whether you think a child can't, you will be right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Yeah. And, and I, I, I carry that that experience with me. So so that's a little bit about my kind of background and, and where I've got to um, and, and, and why I think we do the most amazing job. I, I, I agree, Rob. And, um, and I, and I know that you do do an amazing job. And one of the reasons I know that is because you have a very important role on our Ask Council, and which is how I got to know you and how I've worked very closely with you over the last three years or so. Um, I just want to ask you, a, a, it's a two-part question, really. Um, you've talked about your background and you've talked about your own background as a child growing up. What's, how has that influenced your philosophy um, you've spoken a little bit about that, but your own philosophy on life. And have you have you brought with you any of that philosophy in your role on Askell Council and how that role has helped, helped me and the Askell team um, influence policy? Yeah, that's a good question, Tiff. Thank you. So I, I've been on Askell Council now for four years. I'm in my second uh, term of office and I've served on the leadership committee and now on the teaching and learning committee. Um, and it's a huge privilege. Again, you're serving other people and you're representing the sector voice of others as, as well as sharing your own experiences. Um, a couple of things before I answer the question. I think within that privilege, you are surrounded by amazing thinking and, and, and people who care passionately about the future of our education system. I think what I've noticed about myself um, uh, 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 in, in being part of the council, first, first reflection is it, you, you very quickly have that imposter syndrome because <laughs> you realise there are so many people oh, yeah. with, with such uh, ability to articulate their thoughts and thinking. Um, and, and I had to learn a new set of skills to, to, to feel as though I was able to 
um, move into that environment yes. in, in a way that where I could make a difference. Which, and I think that level of expectation is right and proper and it's good. You're there to serve others and represent other people's views. And it's, it's important that you do that to the best of your ability. But the second thing I think which links back to my background and, and experiences is that I naturally find myself asking questions that lead back to ensuring that we're thinking of all children uh, and, and thinking about equality, thinking about diversity. My dad is Anglo-Indian um, and I grew up on a council estate hearing comments made about my dad and about my mum and sometimes about me and my brother. And again, I'm conscious that um, we need to ensure that the voices of all young people are heard. And so when I challenge on the council, when I ask questions, I'm often drawn into conversations that, that are about how we are meeting the needs or planning to meet the needs for all pupils, um, regardless of context. Uh, and, and that's also a reflection of, of how I've seen the education system change, because I, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, um, in my second year of teaching, I, I worked in a school in southeast London and was told by the head teacher that we didn't need to set targets for, for black Caribbean children, particularly boys, because we knew those children wouldn't make it. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, at that time was quite shocked, but um, at the same time, not surprised because uh, pupils of, of, of that characteristic were very quickly deemed to be either capable or not. And I think the thing I've learned the most um, in my career is that um, that that's just not the case. And, um, and and we sometimes have to be brave and, and, and stand up and challenge those perceptions. The good thing is, I, I think, uh, not just um, ASCO, but but the sector more, more broadly, we have moved an enormous way since that time. Mm -hmm. and, and we've actually, as everyone who's, who's, who's listening to this or, 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 or has been working in education um, will know, um, our expectations can define those outcomes and, and, and great schools challenge those expectations and great schools are not afraid to, to promote um, uh, speaking out against some of those challenges. Thank you, Rob. And obviously I've worked closely with Rob now for three years and, and despite your imposter syndrome, your role on council has been very, very well received. You do do all of that and you have helped us to, to influence um, policy quite significantly over the last few years. So thank you very much for the for the time that you give to that. Um, if anybody wants to find out more about the role that Rob does and our council, then you can go onto our website and have a look in more detail about you know the work that's done there. Because without um, colleagues like Rob, you know it, it's it's a uh, you know Askel is not Askel. It is it is actually you um, and and your team, Rob. You know the, your other colleagues, your other people on that council that are. Um, that are leading the way and, and working for us really. So thank you for your um, your work for that. Um, the thing that I've noticed about Rob on um, council is that I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when I first met Rob because Rob is brilliant at being very very well read. Now I thought I was well read um, with a with a literature degree and you know my background in English, but no not a chance on on Rob. You know I don't even scratch the surface of your knowledge of books, authors. You you quote you um you you you've read a lot of research and it is it is very very um, inspirational and um, sometimes a little a little bit intimidating if I if I'm honest, but 
um, I thank you for the amount of times that Rob names a book or an author and I'm, you know, secretly writing it down because I've not heard of that one. So, Rob, I just want to push you a little bit on one of the books that I read when I first um, became employed by Askell was a book that you wrote. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about your your life as a uh, published author and also some of your favourite or most inspirational reads that you think might benefit others? And if you dare to, your, um, your goal, because I do challenge you a lot on when your next book is out, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about if you did have another book published, what would be in it? Okay, thank you, Tith. There's a lot. There's a lot <laughs> that. So, so, so I, I, I wrote a book because I was asked to write a book and I've, I've got to be honest with you, um, it's not something I, I, I naturally wanted to do, but um, they gave me quite clear deadlines and I'm somebody that is motivated more towards the, the deadline than I am towards the goal of completing something for myself. Um, and so, so I wrote a book, a manifesto for excellence in schools, because they asked me to at Bloomsbury, and they wanted to capture the the kind of story of, of Foxfield Primary School, particularly, and how it went from special measures to outstanding. Um, which I look back now and actually think, you know, no school should ever really go from special measures to outstanding, and the whole notion of uh, evaluating schools in that way is probably not not the best way to evaluate work of schools anyway. But I, I think within within that story, I think the important thing is that it was a story about collaboration again, um, and it was a, it, I, I wanted to challenge the, this perception of how schools really improve, because I think for too long the narrative of school improvement has has been framed around this idea that it's instructional change or it's change that's that's delivered or led through um, individual leaders who are either like the soldiers who mow everybody down and and mandate change um, or the um or, or, the, or the kind of leaders that um, are, are seen seen to be the heroes of their organizations and I think what I saw what happened with what happened at Foxwood that it was really about creating a culture where people felt safe to take risks, people wanted to work together. You know, Foxfield was a special measures school, Woodhill Primary School, which was the, the partner school for Foxfield, was an RI school. Um, and the schools improved because of the quality and depth of the collaboration that was taking place. And the other thing I think is that, I, I think one of the biggest challenges we face as school leaders is we we define ourselves often by the category of school that we're in or the challenges that we face. And and I wanted to challenge that idea because I, I never saw better teaching at Foxfield than when it was a school that was deemed to be in special measures or, you know, the quality of teaching and, and, and capacity from Woodhill Primary School, which was always um, such a capacity giver even though it was a school judged to be requiring improvement, it was the staff who gave up their time on a Saturday to go over and support the, the teachers at Foxfield Primary School. That Those were the heroes yeah. of, of the transformation. And I wanted to capture how we created a climate and an ethos where it was a good thing to be doing that work. And I, I, I think I kind of just about got there in, 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 in telling that story. Um, if I wrote another book, it would be a book that, that's about where we're still getting it wrong systemically in the system. Um, I, I still think we've got a long way to go. And, and, you, and you mentioned the research and the quotes and the and the book references. The, the work of the Social Mobility Commission, um, the work published by the Good Childhood Report, 
I think the work that's the, the reports that are published on on young people's well-being, various sources, all point to the fact that there are still big challenges we face to ensure that our most disadvantaged youngsters feel as though they can achieve in school, feel like they belong and have the, the mental resilience as well as the knowledge they need to be successful. Um, and so I think if I were to write a second book, it would be about uh, unpicking why it is that young people still are not successful in our education system and what more we can do. Uh, and I think that um, when I think about what more that can be done, it's that I think too many decisions are being made based on metrics that are not associated with young people and outcomes um, and, 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 and the things that young people really need. Uh, so, for example, it's easy to look at a school's uh, test outcomes and think that they're doing a good job. But actually, you talk to the children in the school about how they feel about belonging to the community and they may not actually always want to be in that school. What um, We've seen most recently the, the, the publication of the DfE guidance on, on, on teaching reading. And I think it's hugely problematic if we only view the quality of um, learning in classrooms, particularly the teaching of reading, based on what that document is expecting young people to be learning and how they're meant to be learning. For example, um, in that document, it says young people shouldn't be asked to take turns and, and, and collaborate because that seemed to be passive as a form of learning. Well, actually, I think that research is a bit flawed. Uh, and I talk often, and I mentioned it in, in, in my book, um, the three domains of learning, the cognitive domain, the affective domain, and the psychomotor domain. I don't think we value enough the affective domain, which is all about our motivation for learning. It's all about our internalization of learning and how we make sense of a complex world and, and, and where how we use knowledge in a way that helps us make sense. And I think that by not giving that more status within our curriculum, I think what we're doing is we're underestimating how much young people want to uh, be in control of their own futures and how much young people want to make a difference. Our kids in our schools are hugely motivated because our curriculum is designed to give them a voice. It's designed to help them um, make sense of a complex modern society. And, and, and that increases the depth of learning, it increases their ability to transfer skills and knowledge from one subject domain to another because they're making those connections the whole time. And I just wish that whoever it is that, that makes policy at DfE and also then talks to Ofsted, I, I, I wish they would have a better understanding of those domains. Because if you look at the international research, the most successful countries that are delivering world-class education absolutely embed the psychomotor domain and the affective domain across their curriculum approaches and across their um, education provision expectations. We don't do that enough, in my opinion. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. And I know you've, you've spoken vocally about that in it, within council. Um, I'm half joking when I say there are any publishers listening out there. Then I've been uh, asking Rob to get his second book out for a long time. So anybody that would like to uh, sponsor Rob in any way, then please do contact him. Contact him. Um, I did say at the beginning, this is a, an absolute joy to pin you down, Rob, and I don't want you to slip away just yet because I have two um, very, very short questions for you, if that's okay, before you go back to your um, day, day job. Um, 
the first question is school leadership is actually a great place to be isn't it uh, and and you've said that before and and you know we 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 hear some negative stories there's there's been challenges in leadership particularly over the last um 18 months to two years but I know you love your role and I know that you have passion still after all these years we're going to have people listening to this podcast who are new to leadership and also maybe some leaders who have been in leadership a long time they've just you know, lost their passion a little bit is there anything that you can say to these people listening you know, maybe a couple of pieces of advice or one piece of advice. I know that um, if if I was to quote our General Secretary, Jeff Barton, he would ask for three pieces of advice now. But is there anything that you would say to anybody listening now that uh, is embarking on this new career in leadership or you know, feels that they've lost the spark? What, what would you say to them? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I'll try and make it three if that pleases Jeff. <laughs> The, the first one would be um, find the, the find the one thing that you're still most passionate about, regardless of what role you are as a leader within an organisation. What's the one thing that you're passionate about? And make sure you don't lose that. Make sure you make time for that. Um, for me, it was always uh, leading assemblies. And so being able to sort of dip into that passion, whether that's delivery of an assembly or whether that's making time to work directly with young people, um, I suppose the, 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 the most common thing I, I now make sure I make time to do is uh, when I'm in a classroom is just sit with a group of children and listen to them read or just spend time with kids in, 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 in a school. And uh, If you've got one thing about your role that, that is your kind of go to thing, um, you know, for some people, it might be being on the gate at the end of the school day. And don't forget to do that. Don't lose sight of that. You know, go back and ask yourself, what's the one thing that you enjoy most about that job? Leading a staff briefing, taking a, a, a training session uh, or, or, or delivering a staff meeting. Um, what's the thing that makes you most passionate? So that's the first thing. Um, don't lose sight of that. You know, make time for that. The second thing would be for me, um, enjoy the creativity of the role. I, I think partly why I enjoy it so much is that it's an enormously creative role, but it's it's a role that's not always seen as a creative role. It's creative because you you are bringing up the best of other people. Creativity isn't just about uh, a finished product or about something you produce, whether it's a a painting or something you've written or um, or, or, or a kind of outcome. Creativity is also about the quality of relationships that you cultivate within your organization. If I go into a school that is either an inspire partnership school, but actually sometimes this is even more amazing, going into a school that's not an inspire partnership school and seeing something that that school has done that you can track back to something you've had a hand in or you've played a role in, that's a, that's a huge privilege. That's a huge accolade to the work of of what you do you know um one of the best examples that, that i i can sort of share to crystallize that is one of our nqts plus one a few years ago we we relaunched performance management and, and made it more project-based so that everyone had to deliver a kind of a, a school-based improvement project within their performance management appraisal framework and one of our nqt plus ones delivered a whole load of work around pupil voice and pupil oracy in early years. It's a stunning piece of work. And, and when she shared that um, 
reflection in her kind of presentation, we captured it. And within a year, it had become trust-wide policy. And now there are other schools that are tapping into that work and they're sharing the expertise from that teacher who, by, who now has had her own her first child, she's been on maternity leave, she's now moved to a new school, she's in a leadership role, she's still making a huge difference. You know, it's a it's a wonderful privilege to be a part of somebody else's story. Um, and then to make Jeff happy, the, the third thing I would say is never lose sight of the power of collaboration, never lose sight of, of, of the impact we can have together. Um, I, I think collaboration collaboration done well. It, it, it's hugely uh, un, un, underrepresented in in the work of schools or or in some schools, and 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 never really celebrated or told as a story well when it comes to accountability. But actually, collaboration is the best way to improve. You've got to you've just got to make time to do it. it it's the hardest thing to do. You know, going back to the to the, the soldier head teachers that mow, mow people down and then mandate change, that's a much easier way to lead a school than it is to create an ethos where collaboration, which is really tricky to get right and, 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 and make time for that to do it well. Um, so so, so, so my, my third thing would be, um, have a look around your school. Where do you see collaboration happening really effectively? Who We talk about leadership followers. Um, uh, who follows who in your school organisation? Where would you most likely take um, visitors to observe good practice? Where would you least likely want to take people to observe good practice? What does that tell you about what, what your school culture values or what you do well? Can you find ways to, to, to make collaboration a key part of, of the work of, uh, of your school? Um, you know, one way we did that um, and still do is is giving out. We we have good news notices for staff and children, which celebrates collaboration. We have um, useful learning mistake postcards, which celebrates and 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 makes it acceptable to share failures as well as things that have worked well. So, I, I thinking I, I think making time for collaboration is really important. So that that those are my three things. Thank you, Rob. And very, very quickly, I always like to finish on something that's a little bit more fun or a little bit more positive. It's a bit of a goosebump story. We know that you've been in this game a long time now, but is there a story that you can tell us that's happened to you recently that's still giving giving you the, those goosebumps? It could be a something a, a small child has said to you or you've seen in a classroom or a funny story, but one of those little stories that you can tell us that is, is why you do this job still, why you're still in this in this yeah. role in this game. I mean, I mean, I could give you a couple, but I, I suppose the one I'll share with you is that I got an email last year or the year before um, from a pupil that I taught back in 1996, and she was a first-generation Somali refugee. She hated school. She was in. I was, you know, beginning of my career, year six teacher. I didn't really understand what I was doing, if I'm honest with you, at the time. But but I recognised she was vulnerable, and I got the most wonderful email from her, which she gave me permission to share. And she absolutely nailed it in terms of um, understanding her own school experience and how she felt and thought about be being in this primary school classroom as an 11-year-old. But she also knew that um, she felt valued as a person. And she just wanted to acknowledge that um, that, that she recognised that. And, it, and I tell you something, I didn't know I was doing anything good at the time or positive at the time to help this pupil. But, but 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 I must have been doing something right because she took the time to, to share it with me. And then funnily enough, I put it on, she gave me permission to put it on Twitter 
<laughs> and then I had a flurry of further emails from other kids. <laughs> so, so, so that's amazing. Yeah. So, so what I would say, uh, it's another reflection. That how often do we get feedback yeah. as, as leaders? We often don't. And then to sort of bring that up to 2021, I was in the supermarket yesterday and I saw a teaching assistant and her daughter who was in my class back in 1999. And just to see, I mean, she was a 30-year-old a grown woman. And I, it was just wonderful to, yeah. to see this person blossom and, and, and what she's doing now. And so finding ways to, to, to bring that work that we do back to a reality, it's just stunning. And that is a genuine goosebumps moment. Yeah, thank you for that. So thank you, um, Rob Carpenter, CEO of Inspire Partnership Academy Trust and one of our very valued ASCAL Council members. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's been great to pin you down, as I said, and um, hear some of these stories. And I look forward to continuing to work with you at ASCAL over the next few years, hopefully. A long, long future ahead of you, Rob, to make even more of a difference. And we're all looking forward to book number two. So um, thank you very much for your time today. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening. Join us very soon for the next primary podcast. Bye. The ASCAL Primary Leaders Podcast with Tiff Harris.